0: You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation.
1: Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg.
0: I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you with us today as we continue in our study on the Gospel of Luke. Yes. Uh, We are on chapters 9 and 10. This is week 5 of our session. Um, We got one more week and then we'll take a break uh, from Luke part 1 to go into a discussion on prayer. Uh, And then we'll come back and finish Luke later after that uh, breakaway for prayer. But we're uh, excited to have you with us. Before we begin today, maybe we should open in prayer. Does that sound good? All right, I'll... uh, I'll Lead us in a prayer then. We thank you, God, for this day. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the oncoming spring weather. Even though we have a little chillier day today, we see uh, the green returning all around us. And we give you thanks for uh, seasonable weather and the fruitfulness of the earth. I give you thanks, O Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And pray that uh, he is with us today as we dig into your word. As we uh, hear about uh, how your disciples uh, followed Jesus and how they learned uh, to to be of service to the church and to their neighbor and to uh, advance the cause of the gospel. Um, we thank you for the example that they have uh, uh, been for us all. And we pray, God, that in this discussion on Luke today, our hearts and our minds would be open and that they would be turned towards you. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.
1: Amen. Yeah, so we're talking about how Jesus was training his disciples, mm-hmm. and we find, in fact, that he is sending them out and and the other activities that go on uh, around that, yep. and uh, so a lot of application for us today mm-hmm. as disciples of our Lord. Yeah, I kind
0: of I, you get the sense so far in the first eight chapters or so, the disciples are there, but they're kind of like in the background to some degree, but you'll see they're really coming into the the front of the image here. Jesus is really in the... In the lead up to the end of his ministry, he's really taking seriously the training of the disciples to carry on the yeah. mission.
1: I like to refer to like the the first year of, of Jesus' ministry as kind of his inaugural year, and then he has a year of popularity, and that's where the disciples are put into action. And then the last year of his life is the year where he makes his way towards the cross. Yeah. And uh, But this is uh, kind of the middle of... Uh, uh, Jesus's ministry, and so he's working with his disciples, sending them out. Uh, it's a great opportunity, not only for them to learn, but also for us to learn as well.
0: Definitely. Yeah. we got a lot, of, lot to read today. We were trying to count, count it up beforehand. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. So we'll go ahead and hop on into uh, our, our readings. We'll start with uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. So uh, would you like to you, you start. Okay, i go, oh, go ahead.
1: And this is where Jesus sends out the 12, uh, beginning with uh, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave, when you leave their town, as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about what was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, who then is is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. And, and so here we have, again, Jesus sending the disciples out. And um, so, um, and they, they do, as they do the work of God, uh, one of the things, they're not only preaching, but they're also performing miracles. And um, maybe one question is, what do you think about uh, when you hear people performing some kind of miraculous work?
0: Um. Well, typically, I uh, am skeptical. Okay. Um, I think that's the natural instinct of most people when they hear about miracles, um, especially if they're miracles that are done uh, without the expressed authority of Jesus. So we see, you could say, well, what is a miracle? That's probably a good thing to define. uh, You know, it's something that, that happens that doesn't have a... A scientific explanation, perhaps, would be a way of putting it. natural or cause. natural or, cause, right? Yeah. Something that's not readily apparent uh, to our rational understanding. So, I think those things happen all the time in the church, right? We have miracles all the time. I mean, when we say this is Christ's body and blood, we're declaring this is a miracle happening before our very eyes. But when, if somebody says, I've healed someone from disease, or... You know, I brought someone back from the dead or I, you know, any number of miraculous things. My my tendency is to be skeptical at first.
1: Kind of we're since we're from Missouri, that's a show me state. and We like to uh, have people show us, you know, (laughs) we want to see for ourselves what what's going on. Yep. And uh, but we do uh, we do thank God for doctors and nurses and they they perform wonderful uh, acts of healing uh, every day and and we often forget that as well but we thank god for uh for that uh, and maybe another follow up question is then what what is the ultimate miracle of uh, of faith as we talk about god at work in the lives of people yeah, i think
0: the 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 hidden miracles like i said that happen all the day all the time in within the church i mean the the daily dying to self and and the daily rising to christ is miraculous in a lot of ways it's a uh, um, it's a reminder of the miracle of the empty tomb on Easter morning. Every yeah. day is an Easter for us. Uh, it becomes so common to us that we sometimes fail to regard it as a miracle, but nonetheless, it is one.
1: Yeah, the um, the forgiveness that God gives us, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which he gives us uh, in abundance, that new life that you mentioned, uh, those are truly miracles of God, and yeah. we, we celebrate those, and sometimes we forget about them because mm-hmm. they happen every day. And so so um then Jesus gave some further instructions uh about those who were to preach the gospel what else did he uh instruct them to do
0: Well uh take nothing on the journey okay uh only the the uh the bare minimums to travel um when you enter stay there with the people so there's a an acclimatizing period where you um Come into the area where you're, where you are assigned or called. Maybe that might be the better word to preach the gospel. Uh, to be in their midst, and if at first you do not have a welcome, then that's a sign that this is not where the Holy Spirit wants you to be. So you shake your the dust off your sandals and you leave the town. So it's kind of a a process of uh, requiring God. It's requiring uh, the preacher to admit he's not in control first by like saying, I'm not going to bring everything I have. I'm going to trust that God will provide. Going in, dwelling with the the people, and then being aware of signs that this is or isn't where you're called to be.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do these words have any context for pastors today?
0: I think in a lot of ways, yes. Um, So one of the one of the early decisions a pastor has to make before he's even a pastor when he's considering being a pastor is if they're willing to put aside worldliness and what mammon can provide, right? You're never going to, well, in the Lutheran church, at least, you're never going to strike it rich, right? There's some people who have book deals and stuff, you know, and that's, that's whatever it is, but, um, but you're never going to strike it rich as a Lutheran uh, pastor. So you kind of, you're not taking an outright vow of poverty, but you're certainly taking a a vow of never being a person with material blessings, uh, you know, in the life that you have. So um, that's that's one. You also go into it without regard for like uh, kind of planning out your life and knowing where you're going to be and who you're going to um, serve and things like that. When they, there's kind of a joke that when they when they decide where to send seminarians, um, they get out their dartboard and they start throwing darts at the map to see where people go, and that's not really true. But um, but who knows what the process really is amongst the the College of Presidents and the and the or the Council of Presidents and the LCMS. But they but certainly the Holy Spirit guides, and there's a lot of times where where you have to kind of say, yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna go where the Holy Spirit leads because uh, you know, if that's South Dakota, for example, yeah. um, that's what it is. If it's Chesterfield, Missouri, that's that's what it is. And so you uh you're kind of putting away the ability to really decide where you go, how much you're gonna make you kinda just say, God's in control. Yeah. Um also the whole being in the midst of the people is a big big thing. Um, amongst being a pastor, if you're not if you're not informed or involved in the lives of the people that you're there to serve as a pastor, then you can't preach to their life situations and their needs. You can't you don't see the opportunities to serve them and to serve in the community through uh, the, you know the hands and the feet of the people who are in your congregation. So you have to know their skills and abilities, their needs, their blessings, their shortcomings, challenges, all
1: sorts of things. Yeah and there's a there's a dependency that we have on our people to uh, to take care of us to give us what we need to supply uh, those god given uh, needs that we have to take care of ourselves and our family yeah and um, and that becomes a, a a blessing for them as well as for us yeah and um and so um That kind of leads us to this next section, um, beginning with verse 10, as Jesus feeds the 5,000.
0: All right, moving on to another story. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then they took them, then he took them with, with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowd learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about five thousand men were there. But he said to the disciples, Have them sit in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples and set before the people, and and set to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over.
1: Okay, um, again here we see another miracle that takes place, and. Um, but, uh, God never really wants his people to worry, Mm-mm. um, about our daily needs. And why is that? Because he cares for us and will take good care of
0: us. It's, it's not the express, uh, word of this passage, the whole birds of the air and flowers of the field metaphor, but it's, it comes to mind when you start talking about these things. Yeah. God will provide and take care of us.
1: Yeah. And that's taken from the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew's gospel and, and, um, yeah, so God wants us to have a sense of contentment as we trust in Him. Uh, he's has work for us to do each and every day, no matter who we are, uh, according to our vocation. Uh, but He also su- promises to supply what we need, and and um, and that gives us peace. Mm-hmm. And so as we um, as we receive these gifts of God, whether it be the the daily meals that we have. Uh, why is it as Christians, uh, do we then pray like before and after meals?
0: It's a good reminder that nothing that we have came from our own efforts solely, but came from God. Um, air in our lungs, food on our table, water in our cup,
1: it's all uh, from God. Yeah. And just an opportunity to give him thanks yep. and, and to recognize his goodness and love. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, what a what a blessing that is, and and an opportunity for us uh, simply to recognize that with you know with each each gift we have or each meal we receive, um, uh, all these gifts come from God. Yeah. And um, so there's um, there's a, a, a lot of questions. Anything else that you want to bring up in that section?
0: No, I think. Uh one of the things that's worth noting is the abundance of the the gift. Um, yeah. With five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus creates a meal for 5,000 men, plus probably their families too. Yeah. And when he's done, you'll notice that there's so much left over, it says that they fill up 12 baskets full yeah. of broken pieces of fish and bread. And it shows the symbolic importance of this miracle that he is providing for the needs sufficient for the people there and to feed all the sons and daughters of of uh, Jacob, you know, yeah. all the tribes as well. Um, it shows his covenant faithfulness to his people that he will continue not just in physical means, but
1: spiritual means as well to provide. Yeah. How often do we have more than we need mm-hmm. um, you know how often times do we throw food away <laughs> because it's just um, we didn't need it all because there's so much there God provides for us as well um, not only what we need but he usually provides much more than what we need yep. and that that also gives us an opportunity to share with those around us yeah
0: and it's a symbol of his grace his grace is like an overflowing cup it never mm-hmm. runs out and it
1: is way more than is needed yeah uh, and that's, that's the kind of God we have, and, and uh, we celebrate uh, those gifts that he gives us. Mm-hmm. And so um, we'll go on here um, with the next section, and that's 18 to 36, and it starts off with Peter's confession of Christ. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. "'What about you?' he asked. "'Who do you say I am?' Peter answered, "'The Christ of God.' Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, "'The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and be raised to to life.' Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." I tell you the truth, some of you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus uh, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, "Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. And... So we've got uh the confession of Peter and the Transfiguration of Jesus, and uh, again, this confession of of Peter is kind of a central part to uh to all the gospels yep. and um, um, and we're also reminded that this knowledge wasn't given to Peter um, on his own, uh, but God had revealed it to him and and uh, uh um, and what a blessing that became. And um, and then we have the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John immediately recognized uh, they were there with Jesus, recognized those who were standing with Jesus, uh, Moses and Elijah. Um, what does this suggest about, um, about believers in heaven?
0: Yeah, I think uh, when we think about who for sure we know is in heaven. There's not a long list of names. We assume a lot of people were believers, and we assume that they're in heaven. But really, only God knows. We know we know because uh, we know a couple of people. For example, we know that uh, Elijah was taken up into heaven, so we're pretty pretty mm-hmm. sure on that one, right? Mm-hmm. We know that for sure. Actually, here now because he comes. Uh, onto the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and stands there. So there's one, right? And we know yeah. for sure. Moses, also, yeah. we're sure he's there too because he's with Jesus. We're we're sure of uh, one other that I know of, and maybe a couple more, but I can't really think of them out to my head. But we know that uh, the thief on the cross is there mm-hmm. uh, in heaven because Jesus said, surely you'll be with me. And we know he tells the truth. Um, and so... I, I, there's not too many others that i can say with certainty there's like i said there's a lot that I can assume right yeah. but uh without without absolute knowledge that's that's about it and so we can feel uh affirmed or confirmed in an understanding that it's faith which uh, which uh, equips us faith in Christ equips us by uh, atoning for our sins so that we can go to heaven. we know that there's something there's a, a miraculousness to to ourselves in some in some fashion um, when we're in heaven that will likely resemble something similar to what Moses and Elijah look like on the Mount of Transfiguration. but we also acknowledge that there's something incomplete in this picture too um, that on the last day we see Jesus's body transfigured, on the mountain, and on the last day, all believers will be raised, and all unbelievers will be raised, too, but believers will be given a perfected body in sort of the image of Jesus's kind of post-resurrection body, transfigured body that has an element
1: of holiness and light to it uh, as well, so... And it's kind of interesting that the disciples they they know who Moses and Elijah they know who they are, mm-hmm. and um, um, so kind of kind of wonder. I I doubt they had name tags on, but yeah, um, uh, but it's interesting that they that A they knew. Yeah, yeah, they knew who they were, <laughs> and, and so sometimes people wonder if we will recognize others in heaven, and you know there there are people that that we know here on earth. Uh, I think we'll recognize them in heaven, mm-hmm. um, but it almost um seems to carry the idea that we'll also recognize other people as well yeah interesting which would be kind of neat yeah yeah and um uh, and then uh as as things get wrapped up with this story uh again they get enveloped with a cloud God speaks to them and and then God gives a command uh to listen to his son um how can we how do we apply that to our lives today yeah well, to listen is an active form
0: of of hearing where we we don't simply open our ears to absorb information but that we allow that information to make a change within us. So when you listen to somebody, you're actually allowing their their verbal cue to to form your mind in some way. Right? You're listening to a story, you're listening to a news broadcast, you're listening to media, to television, to YouTube video, you're listening to a friend or an enemy or um, an, a complete stranger tell you something. And if you're listening and truly listening, it shapes you. And this is what God is saying, I think, about Jesus, is Jesus talks a lot and has things to say. And I think a lot of times the disciples were keen to hear what he had to say, but they weren't allowing what he had to say to truly transform them. And that is what Jesus's word and God's word in the scripture is intended to do
1: to transform to transform us at our at our yeah. core yeah are there are there times that we I mean obviously we encourage people to listen to God's word today mm-hmm. whether it's a podcast or a sermon message or a devotion that they read and um, again it has the same uh, uh, God desires the same effect, not just to hear it with our ears, but uh, to do what it says. Yeah, and that's and why I think
0: whenever we, we complete the readings in the church, we say, this is the Word of the Lord, and then we say, thanks be to God. And the reason we do that, we say, we say this is the Word of the Lord, is to affirm that this is not just words on a page. This is yeah. something that is meant to be absorbed. It's yeah. spiritual food for us, and because we've... Hopefully, been actively listening and letting it transform our hearts and our minds. We thank God because the Word is powerful and it transforms. Yeah,
1: yeah. God tells us His Word is alive and active, mm-hmm. and it it penetrates our soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and um, uh, becomes a part of us. I I think back to the to seminary days. One of my professors used to. Uh, compare hearing God's word with a with a, a cow that chews the cud <laughs> because they, they chew it over and over again and, and they, they uh a cow has a number of stomachs and so they uh they chew the grass and then they bring it back up and they chew it again and uh this is a process and and God wants us to uh, not just hear his word once and then forget it, but to go over it again and again. And uh, kind of carries that thought of meditation, mm-hmm. um, that we think about it, that we we do what it says, we follow it, we um, consider it once more. And how does it apply to this situation? And yeah. and um, so that it's it's always there before us to lead us and guide us in life. Yeah. And... Um, and, and as we follow it also, that doesn't always mean our life will be easy, um, um, because oftentimes it's not. But um, there is a, mm-hmm. a blessing, um, uh, a sense of peace that we have as we follow God's word, uh, even in the midst of the challenges of life. Yeah. And um, so that, that leads us to the next section, <coughs> um, beginning with verse 37.
0: Okay, 37 till 50. To- All right. The next day, when they came from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, "Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child." A spirit seized him, and he suddenly and suddenly he screams, it throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to the disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for
1: you. Okay, so here we we had the healing of a boy. And and then it was interesting after this miraculous healing, Jesus begins to talk about his passion. Hmm. Um, why does he do that?
0: That's a great question. I think it has to do with what he said there in verse 30, forty-one, excuse me, where he he sees the. Well, his his, whenever he goes to perform miracles and people ask to be helped, there's always a question of faith for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He'll say great is your faith. Or he'll say, oh, you have little faith. And that's sort of, I think, what he's getting at here in verse 41 when he says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. So he questions the faith, not just of, like, the individual that he's dealing with in the miracle, but the people all around who are, who very soon can't even believe their eyes when they see that he's healed this man. It's like, by this point, how could you possibly be surprised that Jesus could heal someone with a demon? Like, this just shows the lack of, like, Faith that this crowd has, and that he's in, he says, "Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I stay with you and put up with you?" It's like there's this like uh, babysitter who's with a bunch of misbehaving children. He's like, "I just can't wait to get out of here." You know, it's not that Jesus doesn't love Mm -hmm. them. He's just like, "I need a break. You guys are too much right now." Um, And so, when when you get into the question of why he brings up his passion he's sharing essentially the fact that you guys are going to have to figure out this dynamic of of belief and faith uh, for the miracles of God and the church to continue because I won't always be here with you. Um, And he's, he's pointing them to the accomplishment of his ultimate mission to be the sacrificial lamb that pays for the sins of the world. And in that, he's trying to encourage their faith. He's like, stop doubting and believe. Yeah. Um and you, the, you two can have the ability to perform these miracles. That's one of the things that they brought up is the disciples can't can't drive this demon out and Jesus is saying essentially here, oh you have little faith. You know, how much longer am I going to be here? Not much longer. You guys got to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And so as they're marveling at the miracle, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to point them to um kind of to the 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 crux of his life, if you will, the very, very center of his life, the mm-hmm. very center of the gospel, that the Son of Man, um, while these things go on, the the Son of Man is going to die, and he's going to be put to death, and he's going to rise three days later, yeah. and that's going to be the greatest thing to marvel at, um, in your life, and it's it's the place where uh, Jesus gives us life, and um, in fact, we we might say that that God would have us think about these things daily and and why would we say that why does God want us to think about his his life his death his resurrection um, why is that a, a daily remembrance for us or why should it be
0: I it, I can I go back to the Ecclesiastes language if you don't have that at the core of your life then nothing has any meaning or purpose whatsoever I mean if you're constantly caught in the rat race of life and focused on all the wrong things and you don't have your your the, the Foundation of your life centered on Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection, then you're going to be completely lost in life um and we see it all the time. people are focused on all even Christians are focused on all kinds of the
1: wrong things, and it just leads to misery yeah uh, I was thinking i when I asked myself that question you know why why would we think of Christ's death and resurrection daily? And then it kind of hit me, well, I, I sin daily, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I need, I need forgiveness daily. Yeah. Uh, I need the reminder daily that, uh, that my sins have been washed away because of what Christ did, because of his death and resurrection. Um, and, and, uh, but uh, I also began to think that, that with Christ's death and resurrection and with our baptism— uh, our baptism connects us to Christ, and that's also, it, it gives us our identity. Yep. And that's a, a, a good daily reminder of who we are as people of God. Yep. Uh, we're people have been, who have been connected to Jesus, to his death and resurrection.
0: Definitely.
1: And, um, and what a powerful reminder that is, as is uh, we're reminded we're forgiven and and uh, children of God. And, um, and those... Those things also, you know, we, you know, we, um, uh, the disciples go on to talk about who who is the greatest. And yet, if we remember who Jesus is, he didn't have a life where he was trying to, um, he didn't go out and say, you know, I'm the greatest, remember me. um, But we remember his greatest because of his humility and because of his his sacrifice. Um, um, And that becomes, again, a, a blessing. And um, and then an, uh, um, another question is, why can no one be neutral about Jesus? Um, because the question
0: at the core of it is too important. If, you're, if you are for the, the creator and savior of all mankind, that's a good place to be, right? And yeah. if you're against the Savior and Lord of all mankind, that's a bad place to be. There's no real space to be ambivalent about the creator of all all humankind and all creation, right? It's like yeah. it's like there's a lion in the room. I'm completely ambivalent to that fact, right? It's like you're either going to be like, oh, I'm <laughs> going to die, or oh, I better take some steps to make that lion real happy with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being neutral about the fact that there's a giant
1: lion in the room is not going to help you with anything at all. Yeah. And it's interesting that the the disciples, you know, on the one hand, think they're the greatest and then want other people to stop this this work that God's doing. But um, um, Jesus said, no, don't stop him because whoever is not against us is for us. Mm -hmm. And and um, um, and so he he wants to encourage uh, the disciples to encourage other people uh, as they. Are out and about in their life, and
0: uh, I mean, there's probably some tie-ins here to the way that oftentimes we as Christians think about uh, Christians from other faith traditions too. We mm-hmm. think a lot of times, well, you're not you're not doing Christianity the right way. It's like be careful there because this this text here shows us that Jesus cares about the heart of what what is being done more than the um. The kind of outward expression of it. So when people, you know, worship with their hands up in the air, versus when they worship with their without their hands up in the air, or when they sing hymns, uh, you know, t- with a a piano or an organ or a guitar or drums or nothing, or whether they sing at all or or speak or chant or anything. Those are all externals, and Christ is looking at the heart of the worship, yeah, and the heart of the life of Christian faith, and so it's very much the same kind of thing here. And this, I think, points us in that direction. This kind of analogy to another person doing the work and the miracles of Christ without being a part of their inner circle—it's like, well, he's utilizing the power of Christ, whether or not he's, you know, on the 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 team, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes look at people who may not be on our
1: team and go, oh, well, okay, fine. You know, we discount them, but, uh, but God doesn't. But God doesn't, yeah. 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 So. And um, going on to this next uh, section, we're gonna, we'll read through uh, the end of chapter 9, starting with verse 51. Um, it says, that, uh, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, uh, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And uh, so, first of all, we have the story of of the Samaritans, the opposition of the Samaritans. Um, Why was it a good thing that Jesus didn't want to punish them as James and John did?
0: (laughs) It's a little presumptuous of James and John. Sometimes we get a little zealous for...
1: How many times has Jesus
0: called a fire and brimstone den from the sky to punish anyone, (laughs) you know? I think this is a little bit of James and John's anti-Samaritan, you know, bigotry almost kind of coming out to some degree here. Uh, There's a, a strong dynamic of animosity between those two people, and I think that... Uh, even though Jesus has already interacted with Samaritans and shown His love for not just Samaritans but all Gentile people, I think James and John here are writing on the emotionality of the moment and falling prey to some old bad tendencies here. Yeah. And Jesus says, "Nope, we're not no. doing
1: that." Yeah, and it's kind of that one passage comes to my mind that Jesus didn't come to destroy people but to save them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, he. You know this. I guess this last Sunday we had the story of the the fig tree, and um, uh, the uh, the person in the vineyard said, "Let's wait one more year." Mm He reminds us of the of the patience of God, and let me fertilize it. Let me let me um, tend to this tree one more year, and if it doesn't bear fruit, then we'll cut it down. But uh, God always has patience with us, Mm -hmm. um, even when we even when we turn away from Him.
0: So the question is, could Jesus have called down fire and brimstone on the city? If Absolutely. To see, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. He, God has done that before. It's not yeah. to say he can't. This is showing perhaps Jesus' mentality of coming into the world not to destroy the world, but to save the world, not to condemn the world, but to, I mean, if you want to go John three seventeen, right? That yeah. he comes in to save
1: the world, not to condemn it. So. Yeah. So if we bring that into today's life and our, you know, is there a lesson for us today from from what Jesus said? Um,
0: I hope so. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) And yes, I believe there is.
0: I think the lesson is, the lesson is looking at what Christ has the power to do and what he chooses to do. Uh, We don't have the power to rain fire and brimstone down upon our enemies, but we certainly have the ability to hate them. And to bring pain in their lives yeah. through our own means, Jesus doesn't do that, and calls yeah. His people not to do that, not to take vengeance, yeah.
1: not to, not to. What maybe a way to say it is not to take delight in mm-hmm. other people's misfortune. Oh yeah, or suffering.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's certainly true. Even if
1: even if they're your worst enemies, you don't delight in their misfortune. Yeah, but I think God would rather have us pray for them, uh, reach out to them, um, and love them. And so, um, um, so, and then he goes on to talk about the cost of, of following him. And mm-hmm. um, so he, he talks about that um, um, some of the hardships that we go through. And so why why should Christians be willing to practice like self denial and 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 bear other sacrifices for Jesus? Why do we why do we do that? Because he did. Okay. I think that's
0: the short and simple answer. He he endured a, a difficult life for the sake of others and for the sake of his mission. Yeah. And yeah, there is a heavy cost towards following Jesus. I mean, there's the there's the book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship, and there's all kinds of great examples in that of of the the modern telling of the. But it's sort of centered on these these verses here that uh, or, or or the mentality behind them that. That to follow, there's men men who come up and want to follow Jesus, but they all have hang-ups, and there's a cost they're not willing to pay. Yeah. There's a, 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 a difficulty or a suffering that they're not willing to endure for the privilege to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of us have to confront that. There is a cost for all of us, to be a believer in Jesus. I think that's what we see going on a lot in our church around us. We're coming out of a culturally Christian worldview in our nation where there was very little cost. In fact, there were a lot of benefits uh, in, in the secular world to being a follower of Christ. And we're seeing that the, the true nature of Christianity is coming forward as the church is to some degree diminishing in our current cultural context. Because the cost of being a disciple of Christ is increasing again. Yeah. It's not so very beneficial anymore to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. It does require sacrifices and personal disadvantages that it did not used to yeah. require.
1: Yeah, we live in a world where the world says, you know, it's okay. You can enjoy life. You mm-hmm. can take it easy. And, and Jesus says, wait a second, there, there, there is a cost. There will be hardships. Yep. Uh, I don't want you to be fooled or misled and i want you to recognize what they are and and ask yourself is mm-hmm. is it worth the cost
0: i and i think regrettably, it wasn't just the world that was saying it's okay to feel comfortable i think it was the church yeah and a lot of christians convinced themselves that you can have the the good uh comfortable life today and you know the the assurances of eternity with christ and it's like I mean, Jesus doesn't speak too highly of people who live in comfort during his life and ministry. Right. A lot of times, the things he has to say about people who have comfort and little and very little challenges make us go, oh, maybe we should be paying attention a little bit more to the way we live our lives day to day and not seek after those comforts and not seek after wealth and not seek after privilege and fame and yeah. instead acknowledge that those things actually lead to destruction.
1: Yeah. And that's a part of counting the cost, is what do we seek after? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think of the passage again from uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be given to you yep. as well. And he'll He'll supply, he'll give us what we need. Um, but he wants us to put his kingdom first and foremost yep. uh, as we live out our life. It's true. And. So that that leads us into chapter 10. Uh, Jesus not only sends out the 12, but now he sends out 72. uh, As we read this next section, verses 1 to 16. Okay. After this, the Lord appointed 72
0: others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that place, in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens, who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects
1: him who sent me. Okay, so here we find Jesus sending his disciples out into uh, out into the world, and. How does he describe the world's mission field? Harvest that's plentiful. Harvest that's plentiful. An yeah.
0: overabundance of ripe crops ready to be turned into food.
1: Yeah. And it, it sounds like there's there's more work than can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more than enough work. And all we have to do is is open our eyes and look around. Yep. Um, and it's there. And... Um, and um, so sometimes we talk about, um, about praying for others. Uh, so what what do prayers have to do with uh, God's mission field in accomplishing His work?
0: Well, first of all, to identify the work that is of a top priority that requires prayer, um, When you say like, I, I kind of know this from, having a having farmers in my family but you know when there is a wheat harvest uh, based on where it rained more or less or based on what plants were what crops were planted first or last or whatever not every single piece of the uh, the field is is as ready to be harvested as some others and so you start with the stuff that's That's heavy, like the 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 wheat that's like super ready to go, and you know where it is as a farmer. You get a feel; they get a feel for what fields need to be harvested first, and then they know that in the process of harvesting, other other crops will reach that sort of level of maximum harvest. And you don't want to let super ripe stuff get to the point where it's starting to turn. You know, Mm -hmm. so um, this this requires. In, in the spiritual kind of analogy here it requires prayer to have that sense of where the the fruit is most ripe for the harvest where the weed is most ready to be um, you know to cut, be cut uh, and so uh, in, in a sort of spiritual context with there's so many things there's so much work to be done in the church that n- having that discernment about, there's 15,000 things you can be working on. What What are the 50 that you want to say? These, these are what I'm doing, you know, today is an important task, and that requires prayer. And so uh, what is the number one priority in terms of harvest work? It has to be prayer, because without prayer, you don't know where to go and what to do. So the
1: number one thing has to be prayer before anything else. Okay, we even find our Lord, as he taught his disciples how to pray, mm-hmm. uh, he talked uh in one of the petitions, about um, in a sense the the harvest field, yep. um, in that uh, uh, second petition, he said, you know, as he taught his disciples to pray, he said, "Pray that God's kingdom will come," mm-hmm. um, and that refers to the harvest, uh, bringing uh, God's grace to people and and allowing the Holy Spirit to change their lives and bring them into the kingdom of God. Yep. And um, and so we, as we pray that prayer every Sunday, we're we're asking God to be at work around us and um, helping us to see where he is at work and where we can bring his harvest field in. Definitely. And, um, and then he goes on. We go on uh, starting with verse 17 uh, to finish that, that story. 17 to 24, I'll read that. Uh, it says, The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, uh, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hmm. And um, so here again, um, Jesus talks about uh, a blessing that our names are written in the kingdom of God. And um, so why is that? Uh, why should that be a chief joy in our life to have our names written in the kingdom of God? Yeah, the
0: context of the story kind of tells us the 72 that he sent out, they come back and they're pumped, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. Jesus sent us out into the harvest field and man, the harvest was good. We did some really good stuff. We drove out demons, we healed, we did all this great stuff. And Jesus is saying, you're kind of missing the point. The reason I sent you out I told you, wherever you go, heal the sick, da-da-da. But the most important part of all that was the advancing the cause of the gospel, telling others about me and what I do and the kingdom of God that's coming into the world. And so the the chief happiness for these workers in the harvest field should have been that more were added to the number, more names were added to the book of life. And he says, that's where your joy should be, that your Mm -hmm. name is written in the book of life. Don't take joy in your... I mean, you still take joy in your accomplishments for the good of the kingdom of God, but the greater joy is not in your accomplishments for the kingdom of God, but what Christ's accomplishment on
1: your behalf is, yeah. that he
0: has written your name in that book of life.
1: Now, this this coming Sunday, uh, we're going to have the story of the lost son and it's in the context of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But uh, with each item that is lost and then found, uh, Jesus reminds us that there is great rejoicing that goes on in heaven uh, over every sinner who repents and uh, receives the kingdom of God. And, so, um, and to recognize that our own names are written there, uh, what greater joy uh, can there be? And, and so knowing that, how does that affect our lives today? Uh, knowing that our names are written in, the, in the, God's kingdom, um, uh, in his book of life.
0: Your, your destiny is sealed. I mean, you're, you're, you're good. You're covered. Okay. That, that kind of thing is the only thing that can give the level of confidence that you can, uh, in my opinion, approach each day with boldness. Okay. Um, if, you're, if your ultimate fate is in question— you're constantly looking over your shoulder trying to figure out who's trying to get me and what's going to happen and this and that but Christians have the the confidence to boldly proclaim I'm I'm sealed I'm I'm good I've got Christ on my side nothing can separate me from that love nothing can take that name out of that book of life in heaven my name is there and so that le- allows me to live here today not constantly trying to pursue heaven but instead trying to, create a little bit of heaven here right trying to bring god's kingdom here trying to serve and love and teach about jesus here today so that others
1: can likewise have their name written in heaven and bring rejoicing in heaven over that name yeah so it gives us security gives a confidence and determination it gives us a sense of peace
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, a reminder that our sins are forgiven Um, uh, again it reminds us who we are as people of god and and Again, as you mentioned, that gives us a great boldness and confidence as we um, live out our life today uh, in a joyful way, and as we share it with others. And and yet we also find that there are people who who refuse to believe in the gospel. And so, um, you know, some people ask, why Why is that?
0: Arrogance, pride. Um, any, any number, uh, the, the litany of, of brokenness of human pride and arrogance and sinfulness, it's, if you put your, if you put yourself in the appropriate seat where God is to be seated, there's nothing, God's not going to usurp your, your free will to say, nope, I get to sit there, not you. Cause that's what we say to God is I get to sit there, not you. Yeah. And he's like. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not good for you. It, it, this, it wasn't made for you. It yeah.
1: was made for me. Yeah. So, um, uh, but there, there are people who, um, who still choose that. Yeah. And. Um,
0: and frankly, I mean, there are moments where we all fall prey to those instincts of wanting mm-hmm. that. So I don't want to, I don't want to say like there's an us versus them thing. It's that the difference is, however. That although we have a, a tendency towards wanting to usurp God's throne every day, just as broken, sinful people, the, the core of who we are, the foundation of who we are, the identity that we are in, is in Christ. And therefore, he calls us to repentance. Yeah. We turn back to God and say, you're right, God. I, when you ask, "Are you sure
1: you want to do that?" Yeah. We're like, "You know yeah. what?
0: No, yeah. you're yeah. right. God, you yeah. deserve it's, that seat, yeah. not me."
1: Yeah, we talked about the uh, the throne on our uh, throne chair on our heart, yep. and that was really made for God. Yep. And and it's and it it um, the blessings come to us when God is sitting there, yep. uh, rather than ourselves, and um, and and that's that's a good thing. Definitely is. And. Um, So that leads us into uh, the next story, which is the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so we'll read verses 25 through 37.
0: On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart on his wounds then he put the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two silver coins and placed them and gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have which of these 3 do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: Okay, a, a powerful story. And in fact, we often use that, that term today, Good Samaritan. What Maybe we should talk about what is a Good Samaritan.
0: Yeah, well, we, we know now from, from Luke that this is the probably fourth or fifth time we interact with Samaritans in some way in the text. And Samaritans are not people who are regarded highly by the Jews for their morality or their Theology or anything like that. As a matter of fact, they're often kind of thought as lesser or even wicked in some cases. And yet, Jesus here is saying all of that stuff aside. He even puts out. He's like, he gives two examples of of people who the Jews highly regard for their morality and think obviously would would do the right thing, and but they don't do the right thing, even though they're holy in their sort of personage and their their kind of reputation they fail in in the moment of testing whereas someone who has a a deplorable reputation steps up and does the right thing so he says who's the neighbor is it the one who has the reputation but doesn't do anything or is it the one who has the bad reputation and does something so he's kind of showing it's it's about what you do it's your actions how you love is
1: is what you how you serve and what you do yeah so we oftentimes refer to people as a good Samaritan if they do a kind act uh, to someone else and uh, to help someone out in need in in a certain way. Um, It also causes me to think of just the fact that here at King of Kings, we have many different institutions that we help um, uh, in different ways. And um, um, uh, there's Always, there are needs all around us and I'm you know some of those institutions uh, whether it's circle of concern it is a, our food pantry in West in West County st. Louis mm-hmm. people think that's a strange idea uh, but there are those in West County that uh, uh, at times need help with food because yeah. of the loss of a job or something Definitely.
0: and um, one of the things that I think often gets overlooked in this passage is um, the line that talks about it's verse thirty three it says, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. before any action occurs, there's a change of heart or, or an impact on the heart. Um, with the with the Levite and the priest, that that sort of instinct of the heart never happens, and therefore an action never happens. And so before someone can can truly serve through their actions, there has to be an impact on the heart. There has to be a, an internal, mechanism or decision or or mercy uh, within them to
1: act and so that's a, a thing to think about too yeah and he helped this man in a number of ways whether it was putting medicine on his sores mm-hmm. whether it was uh, transporting him to the lodge whether it was paying for his needs afterwards or or helping pay for those needs yep. um, uh, and so uh, again a, a kind of a question to wrap it up is is what lesson can we learn uh today um as we help people yeah and you you first mentioned a change of heart Mm -hmm. god uh god wants us sometimes god wants us to see with our heart Uh, he wants us to see other people with our heart
0: it it can be easy in the sort of culture that we live in today to have a cold heart towards the suffering of a lot of different people because yeah. there's a lot of suffering going on. Yeah. We are inundated with it constantly in yeah. the news and in our in our private lives. And it can be really easy to be like, oh, you're having a hard time, guess what? Take a yeah. number, everyone else is yeah. too but this is where Christians are called to make to make the change to be different than the rest of the culture. To say there are Everyone, everyone does suffer, but there is some profound suffering in the world, and I think a big, a big part of the meaning of life, just in general, is for, especially for Christians, to try to cast their sufferings on Christ so that they can bear up the burden of another um, through service and through sharing Christ with them as well, and so uh, that that's a very real calling to our neighbor to to bear up. Uh, some some facet of the weight of suffering that they are enduring in this life and thereby mm-hmm. help them bear it. Yeah,
1: and there's, again, sometimes God just encourages us to open our eyes and to look around and yeah. to see the, the hardship hardships and the pain that people are going through. And um, the very reason we do this is because we had someone who was a good Samaritan for us. Yep. Yeah, and that was Jesus Christ, who
0: knew suffering more intently than and more intensely than any other.
1: Yeah, um, but he he knew knew our need. He knew there was nothing we were we were like the dead man on the or the man who was close to death on the side of the road, yeah. and and Jesus saw our great need and had pity had pity and compassion, yeah. and and acted yeah. and gave us. Gave us the very thing that we needed. He gave us life from Himself. Yep, and and so that is what we we have the privilege and opportunity to do as as we live our lives today, is to share that life, His life, with those around us and to care for them spiritually and physically mm-hmm. uh, as people are in need. Yep, and uh, and so um, what opportunities we have and to be the hands and feet of Christ as we live in this world and, and uh, as we follow him, just mm-hmm. as the, the the disciples did. And and so that brings us to the end of our section for today. Okay. And um, again, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, but to listen to him, to follow him. The um, cost of it. Recognize the cost. And, and the responsibilities. Uh, yeah. To love and serve our neighbor.
0: But also the... the Amazing privilege of being a disciple of Christ. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's something that we we can't discount as yeah. There's there's a cost, but it's worth it. You know, there's a there's a, an expectation and a responsibility, but when you embrace it, it's worth it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's the only thing that makes real, lasting, good change in people's lives. So yeah. it's worth it.
1: And so this brings us to again to the end of this section. So, thank you for being with us. And to close today, I'll offer a prayer. If you bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your work in our life. We thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was about teaching his disciples uh, what it means to be a follower of 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 Christ, and uh, the privilege as well. And Uh, Like the disciples, we sometimes want to think that we're the greatest or uh, that we have things to offer or that uh, we compare ourselves with others and think that um, they deserve something less. Um, But you remind us, Lord, as your people, uh, that we are all sinful and in need of a Savior and, and that Savior is your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness and the life that he gives us. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith this day. Uh, as you open our eyes uh, to see where Jesus is working so that we can follow him and join him in that work as we uh, celebrate your kingdom in our midst. And so guide us with your spirit. We pray pray it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Thanks for being with us today.
0: Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see
1: you next time.